Does everybody have a seat? Everybody have a chair? I'll get more for you. Everybody have a spot to sit? I'm trying to do that thing. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to welcome you to the uh, the Boys Club of Parkland, extending a temporary membership to our fellow Jewesses. Don't get comfortable. I'm joking. Uh, welcome everybody. This is uh, different and exciting. And um, is it too loud? Huh? I enjoy the background music. Who's the, who does it bother? No, I know, but I'm saying I just Chaim says it's a little too loud. So, no. Personally, when I'm distracted, I I just like go to Ishai Reboy. Okay, so um, first of all, uh, welcome everybody to our sixth class on Chayvus Alvavos Shar B'Tachon. Quick disclaimer: this is being recorded. It's not live, but it's, uh, so it can be edited. Um, it has been edited almost every single week for colorful conversations um, and other really politically geared discussions. Um, but just know that it's live. So if you don't want to be heard or don't want to name your name or uh, just know that. Um, also, everything that I share here tonight is my own personal understanding of the topic. I might misrepresent, misquote, misunderstand, or miss everything else. My intention is to start a conversation. So if or when I do so, please forgive me in advance. My intention is to start a conversation and hopefully encourage all those here and beyond to dive deeper into the topic and find their own inspiration. And uh, that's my objective. Tonight we're opened it up to the ladies as well, because tonight's my wife's birthday, Eliza. So, happy birthday, Eliza. And uh, there's no question that this journey is absolutely together, hand in hand with my wife. So it wouldn't, uh, I mean, I've shared this with everybody before, but everything that I talk about is something we've done together and constantly work on together. And much of what I discuss is based on conversations that we share um, with each other on the topic. So that being said, we are in the middle of learning. We've finished chapter one last week, which was a two-page chapter, which was followed by, well, previous to that was a 30-page introduction. Um, so we're in the very beginning, but what I want to do tonight is we're going to continue chapter two, but before we do that, I want to kind of try to broaden the conversation a little bit, because generally, as a group, I, I, most of the examples I use what I've been discussing it until now is financial related because I spend most of my time working. So my mind is thinking about business and opportunity and, and finances, etc. But as tonight is open up to the larger community and it's my wife's birthday and it's kind of focusing on family, I thought it would be nice to zoom out a little bit and try to look at the topic in more of the day-to-day -day family, relationship, 
marriage, spouses, children, um, looking at that through the lens of Betachen. And it does fit with the chapter 2 that we'll start because it does discuss in chapter 2 trusting in someone and who do you trust in, somebody that you can trust, and it lays out seven reasons or seven qualities that a person would have to have to have trust in. And I think that for many, the closest you'll find to that is probably a spouse or a significant other. So I think it all fits the same. So we'll, we'll talk about you know, those seven things when we go into the book. But prior to that, like I said, I'd like to kind of take a step back. So in talking with my wife this morning, we were discussing what would be, you know, how do you define betachin in a relationship? And the word we came up with, and when I say we, it could have totally been her, um, <laughs> is vulnerability. Is that betachin actually opens up vulnerability between two people. First of all, it allows you to be vulnerable, and it allows you to express your vulnerability to the other person, and vice versa. And we know that in a relationship, to be successful, you've got to really let down your guards. You've got to be able to drop down the ego, drop down everything that, that you know, stops you from connecting in order to really connect. If you're going to be completely with a wall up, you're never going to connect to the person. In fact, one of the reasons, and this goes back to my, uh, my, one of my three marriages that I've ordained, and we're two for three so far, so Baruch Hashem, um, one of the reasons why the chassan walks around the kala seven times is to commit to remind us of when the the walls of Jericho fell. Joshua walked around as well, and the concept is is that the wall of the man who is very guarded, he's you know Mr. Macho, as the woman's about to engage in a relationship with him, and they're going to start a life together. His walls have to be brought down. His emotional barriers have to be brought down so that they can engage in in a relationship. So. And, and Aliza will, will actually, um, she'll talk about it a little bit later on in, in depth. But betachen, when you, when you allow Hashem and the concept of a third power, which we've all heard that in a marriage there's the husband, the wife, and God, and that's why there's all types of laws that, that are designed to, to, uh, to, 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 to take place in a marriage, but, you know, which is like the, the thruple, but the, the idea of allowing Hashem into your life for more than just Taras and Mishpacha, for family purity, but that you're putting your trust in Him, that you are allowing Him to, not just whatever He does for me will be great, but you really trust that it's going to be the way you hope it will be. It allows you to express what your fears are, what your vulnerabilities might be, which in- enables you to start having a relationship because if you can express it and take it from you because you don't control it and give it to Hashem and really trust, it, it, opens, it opens a door. And, you know, in, our, in this group, we've, we've, again, most of it focused on finances, but we've been talking every week about, is betachen some kind of special sauce? Yes, sir. There goes my mood. <laughs> Done, Yuri. It's off. Um, so, so, the, what was I saying? What's that? Sorry, I got to put it right. Yeah. So there's been a, a conversation, which, by the way, is the Betachen conversation 
the trust conversation, in, no matter who you're going to have it with, well, is it, is it a special sauce? Is it a gimmick? Is it the, the movie The Secret? Is it, you know, um, or Santa Claus is another great example from the Talmud. Is, you know, is there, is there, you know, what is it? Like, is it a trick? You know, I got to go to work. You know, we were talking about life insurance last week. We're talking about, you know, steps that we're taking to guarantee or not guarantee challenges in life. And, and really, when you take a step back and you, you, you forget about the business side of it, the money side of it, the financial side of it, and you look at it through the lens of, of a family life and of, of, of life in general, it, it actually is a way of life. It's, it's not that it's a special sauce. There is inherent power that comes with it. And the, 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 the power of betachin is what we learn about in this book and what you'll spend your lifetime trying to accomplish. But it's, it's an actual way of life that when you engage in everything that you're doing from that place where you have a, a, a true trust in God, not a trust that whatever He does for me is for the best, a trust that, no, He's going to do what I want, what I'm hoping for, what I see as being the best, it creates a, 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 an absolute positive outlook in life. You know, you, you, we, especially with the war now and even before the war, there's a song, you know, you hear the song, Thank You Hashem? And everyone's got the little yellow stickers on their car. Thank you, Hashem. You know, that, that concept is, starts in the concept of betachin, which is gr- gratitude and positivity. Is that if you, part of having trust, and we haven't gotten there in the book yet, but is when you appreciate all that you have, and if you wake up in the morning and show gratitude, and you see this in other concepts as well. You know, we're just, this is based on Torah, so we're going to focus on this, and this book is a thousand years old. But when you're looking at everything you have in your life and you, and you look at it from a place of positivity and a place of gratitude, you start to actually realize how much in your life is amazing and how much of it you passively trust in God and He actually gives you. But it's like we spoke about the first class. If you have a white sheet of paper, and this is my wife's example, and you take a, a pencil or a pen and you make a blue dot in the middle of it, then the eye, the natural eye, goes to the blue dot because that's the problem with the page. The fact that it's a blue dot that's a centimeter wide on an eight and a half by 11 that's completely perfect, that doesn't matter. Your eye naturally goes there. So when you take a step back suddenly and say, I might be struggling in this particular part of my life, I might have a child that's difficult, I might have a health challenge, I might have a relationship challenge, I may have a physical challenge, whatever the challenges are, if you take a step back, and think about the positivity in your life, think about all that you have to be grateful for, it also makes you realize how much you do trust in God and how much He delivers to you constantly. And if, God forbid, you've ever, you know, you've ever been faced with... Um, you know, health is something that we, we, we absolutely abuse until we have a problem, right? You know, if you have a toothache, you have like a really bad toothache, you can't think... You know, or if, if you're a man, if you've ever had a cold and you have to stay in bed for three days, you know, and think, I mean, it's like giving, lay, like giving childbirth, they say, when you have a cold, a really bad one, which is, you know, is it, what is, you know what I'm talking about. Absolutely, you have to, you have to be off your feet in, in such a scenario and take medication and sleep. Um, but if, God forbid, you've had a cold, you know what I mean, but the, the pain in your mouth by that tooth, you can't function. Right? You, you, you got to have Advil, you got to the dentist, it's like throbbing, you can't speak, I'm so sorry, you can't, you can't move. How often do you stop on a regular Tuesday and realize that you've got a mouth full of teeth and they all function just fine and they don't hurt at all? 
Um, they're lovely. They allow you to chew, and when you drink coffee, you can put it through the tooth so you don't burn your tongue first. I mean, it's incredible. Your eyes, your ears, your limbs, your body. I mean, you just to be sitting here right now and to be able to sit and to be able to go like this and pick up a beer and grab a glass of wine and, and you're listening to me and then we're looking at each other. I mean, how often do we actually sit with that for a minute or two minutes? But if something goes wrong, it's like, oh my God, what the hell's going on? My whole life is falling apart. You know, it, 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 it's, it's absolutely like incredibly difficult to even imagine. So when I say betachin is a way of life, it's all encompassing where you could step into a, into a, into a place where it's, it's not a special sauce, it's life itself. And, and when you think about what's going on now with the war, you know, I, I think it's also part and parcel of what makes the Jews who we are. I mean, if you think about what happened in Israel a month ago, um, what's going on today, I'm not saying that if it, in, in another country or with another nation there wouldn't be camaraderie. After 9-11 there was, you know, what was that song? I'm glad to be an American, at least I know I'm free. And there was, you know, tremendous patriotism and people got together and there was love. And in, in the city of New York was never a safer place to be after, you know, crime-wise after the math, after, in the aftermath of 9-11. But what you see in the Jewish people is something even deeper than that. There's the there's the nationalism, the 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 the, the, the patriotism, the, the fighting for, for the freedom of Israel, but there's a Jewish pride and a Jewish connection that breaks the boundaries of anything you've seen in, in, in other circles. Why? Because inherently we all know and believe it's going to be great, that it's going to be good, and that we're standing up because we're going to survive, and we did this happened to us 70 years ago in a different way, you know, and it, it, no matter what they do, we're going to pick ourselves up and we're going to be stronger. That comes from an inherent trust in Judaism, in God, and the fact that we ain't going anywhere. And that's what, you know, it's like that pintle yid, it's that, it's that, um, that um, spark that exists with, with in, that the Tanya talks about within every single Jew, that when you go to a Jew, and, 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 and even if they're not observant at all, and you threaten them, with their existence, suddenly they're, they're, they're turned on like a, like a light. And you see, you're seeing it now an old day with videos. I got a video I'm sure you all saw with the guy that's covered in tats and he's saying thank you, you know, for, uh, for, 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 for bringing me back through this, all this anti-Semitism. You know, I'm not much connected, look at me, and now I'm, I'm ready to, you know, I'm all about being Jewish. Jewish pride is, is number one, I'm paraphrasing what he was saying. But the point is that I believe that that's, that's a part of what the Betachin is. It's the trust that we know. There's no way in hell Hamas is ending the Jewish people. There's no way in hell that Columbia University or Cornell is going to put an end to us. We're not going anywhere. We're going to survive this like we survived everything else. The Hamas is going to be off, the, off of the, 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 the map. That's the problem, another holiday. Another holiday, more food. Outside of the, the, the holidays. It, 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 it's, a, it's a betachen. It's close to what? Too close to Hanukkah. <laughs> Get it away. So, and, and like I said, Eliza will talk a little bit more about, about that concept of vulnerability. What's that? An extra kiddush? Okay, so another thing I want to do, is, which we do here every, every week, is as I am Chabad, most of us here are Chabad or attend the Chabad synagogue, um, I'd like to read a couple of letters from the Rebbe that he wrote, and what's fascinating is that these letters were written 
early on in the 50s and 60s, most of them. It's in a book called In, in Good Hands. And you see how the Rebbe was promoting the concept of betachin and trust and this particular book in, in specifically as something that we should all strive to, uh, to, to work on. So I, I, I found two letters that are not focused on finances, but they're focused on family-related stuff. So I'll just read the letters right out of the book. Okay, so this letter was written on Reish Chodesh Adar in the year 1952. So, greetings and blessings. Your letter dated Monday of the week of Parshas Yisro reached me on time, but my reply has been delayed because of the yard site of my, my revered father-in-law, the Rebbe. So, just to put this in historical context, this is about a month after the Rebbe became the, the seventh Lubavitcher Rebbe. So, a month prior to that, he accepted upon himself the position. So he says that the, the yard said of my, my revered father-in-law and the preparations for the date and the matters connected with it ari- arising out of it. May God help every one of us to fulfill his mission along the path that my father-in-law pointed out and laid down. This also includes guidance along the path of Torah and mitzvahs itself because even with that path itself, the ev- evil inclination, the Sahara, finds way of weakening and hindering a person's endeavor to climb higher. I was happy to read in your letter that you are firm in your trust in God, and I hope that you will soon be enabled to see that the trust materializes in your business affairs. One thing, however, I find surprising. Since you place your trust in God in questions of materiality and your your business, surely that trust should be firm when it comes to one's kids and their conduct. After all, This is what really matters to a Jew, much more than your material concerns. But in your case, when you come to that subject, you write that you console yourself with the thought that at least they are in a better state than some others, and so on. On the phrase that we read in in the Aleinu during davening every day, which means in the heavens above and on the earth below, there's a popular interpretation which is cited in many books, and I'm sure you have heard as well. When it comes to matters of heaven, divine and holy matters, one should gaze upwards towards those who are standing on a rug, a rung that's above them, and they should try to climb there. When it comes to earthly matters, one should lower one's glance and consider the predicament of those who is below them. The latter perspective enables a man to become happy with his lot, and such a man is truly rich. As the sages teach us, who is rich? A man who is happy with his lot. And then he encourages the, sorry, let me finish, actually. First of all, by the way, if you read Hayom Yom, this is today's Hayom Yom, which is interesting. When I, in today's um, Hayom Yom study, that was what he talks about. But the Rebbe ends the letter, what? The about the rung. Yeah, that if you, if, 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 when you're looking at spiritual things, you should look above you, and when you're looking at material things, you should and look. when you compare yourself to others. Correct. Aspire to be better spiritually and, and feel good where you are because others don't have it as, as well on the opposite. So there's no need for me to emphasize that Lubavitch in general and me personally are not in the habit of offering pointless rebuke. The above lines then express a dual intent. One, to contribute whatever I can to, strength your, to strengthen your trust that God will grant you a livelihood and sound health. And B, to recapitulate what I spoke to you when you were here not to grow weary of speaking with your kids concerning their conduct in matters of Torah and mitzvahs 
and the words of the wise, especially when you're tranquil, with blessings for success. So if you read just the bottom line here, is the Rebbe is saying that if you apply the concepts of bitachon, of trust, to your business, then surely you should do so when it comes to your children. And if you have any teenage daughters or boys, which I might or might not have, a few of them, um, that's a very comforting thing to realize because you really don't always apply the concept of betachen to your children, but the reality is, is there's so much that you can do. It's the same concept of making a keli, making a vessel, doing your part. But after you do your part, and after you contribute what you can, you have to have absolute trust. Not just faith that God will take care of it, whatever works out, but trust that it will be great. And by the way, it works wonders when your kids feel that you trust in their process, in what's going on with them. And whether it's because we say, God willing, or we look at them and say, you got this, it's the same energy that you're expressing to them, is that you're going to be fine, and I know you're going to be fine, and I have trust in you and trust in the, in the greater plan here. So that's letter one. And letter two is a short one, also written in 1952, in the month of Sivan. Greetings and blessings. In reply to your letter in which you ask my opinion as whether you should continue consulting doctors or place your trust in God. And I, I assume this is talking about a, a couple that's looking to have children. It goes without saying that you should both be strong in your trust in God who heals all flesh and performs wonders. At the same time, one must create a vessel on the natural plane and follow the doctor's orders. May God bring the desire of your hearts to good fulfillment so that you and your wife will be blessed with healthy and viable offspring. Guess I realized that. And your pigeon nefesh was duly read at the holy resting place of the, the riyats, with blessings that the Torah be received joyfully and internalized. So again, another example about having children, where the concept of doing your part is important, but the Rebbe also encouraging trust and betachen shows itself there as well. So just again, this concept of shar betachen, this concept of working on one's trust, is a very Chabad concept. It's a very not hocus-pocus concept. It's, it's a fundamental part of, of who we are and what we strive to be as Jews and uh, as uh, people trying to make a difference. And I just want to skip to one more thought and then I will turn the... I'll say it was... Well, I'll turn the mic to my wife and then I'll share a story. Is... There is a talk, and I'll quote it for those who want to look at it later. It's 1953, Chaf Av. It was a Fabrengian of the Rebbe, and it's actually in English in this book as well, in good hands. So the Rebbe is talking about in, in the Talmud, there's a in Gemara Beya, there's a, a statement that says that, that Hashem tells the, the Jewish people, you should borrow on my account, and I will repay you as it relates to expenses for Shabbos and Yom Tov. That if somebody's going through a difficult time, Hashem says, borrow money if you have to, but make a beautiful Shabbos. And the Rebbe discusses how this actually extends to Jewish education. And that even if you need to borrow money for tuition, you should borrow and Hashem will take care of it. And then he does something pretty amazing. And the Rebbe says, it also extends to your material family, the material needs you have in you and your family's life. He says, why, how do you say such a thing? Because the whole purpose of being a Jew is to elevate materialism 
to a more spiritual state, right? We put the fillin on, we're taking leather. You could have made a belt out of it. Now you're wrapping it on your hands and you're saying a blessing. You've taken a cow's hide and you've now turned it into something holy. You light Shabbos candles, you're taking wax and a wick, which really has no inherent value other than to give some light. You're making a blessing on it. Now it's got the holiness of Shabbos. So we're constantly elevating the material world to something more spiritual. So the Rebbe says that, therefore, you can use this argument as well. Anything you want in your life materialistic for your family, you should borrow on God's account and He'll repay you. And then he says as follows. Now, of course, you're going to say to yourself, let's be honest, not everything I want do I intend to lift, to elevate the spirituality. And even the things that I do tell myself I want to elevate the spirituality, uh, it's more lip service than anything else. Like I, you know... I could get a Civic, or I can buy a Lexus, you know. And, you know I'm, I'm, I'm going to totally elevate it on a Hanukkah. I'm going to put that beautiful menorah on the car for sure. And I'm just going to borrow 10 grand from my buddy because I need to get a nice Lexus with the, with the, with the trim. Because, so the Rebbe says this in the talk, in 1953, mind you. He doesn't talk about a Lexus, but he talks about this idea. So he says, so how can we say such a thing? People, and, 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 he, and he, quotes a, 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 he quotes the Alter Rebbe about, I know it was Tanya, it was a letter that, people tend to also stretch the truth. So we don't always even tell, like there's even, I forgot what he quotes, but he, you know, we tend to fib a little bit. So how can he even make such a statement? So the Rebbe quotes a, a, a commentary that discusses when, when God was about to create Adam, that there was an argument, and there was kindness, chesed, in heaven, the energy of kindness, and there was the energy of emes, of truth. And... God said, so what should I do? Should I create uh, the human beings? So Chesed said, kindness said, absolutely. You've got to create them. They're going to do such wonderful things. They'll be kind to each other. They'll give charity. It's going to be amazing. And Truth said, come on. God, let's be honest. They're going to futz it all up. They're going to mess everything up. It's going to be a disaster. They're, you know, it ain't going to bode well. And of course, we know who won that argument because Adam was certainly created. So the Rebbe makes the point that borrow on my account and I will surely repay even if you're not there yet which I personally my own interpretation of the story that I took it in is I think that, that the Rebbe was at the same time he was promoting this concept he's also explaining don't think that as you're on the path to getting to where you're trying to go it's not worth something you'll spend your entire life and week to week, and hour to hour, and day to day, trying to be, trying to attain, trying to get to that perfect level. But the process is great, and it's honest, and it's true, and it's not fake, and it's not lip service, and it doesn't mean your betachin is fake. And just because you've got good trust, you know, at 11 a.m., but it falls apart at 11, 12 a.m., doesn't mean that you're not making massive inroads. It doesn't mean that it's all worthless. It's, it's absolutely not. It is a process and every step of it. And how do you know? Because you're here. If truth would have won that war, we never would have been sitting here and having this conversation. So as we're on this collective mission of learning about trust, it's important to remember that it's a, it's a journey, as they say, um, not that kind of journey, and um, a different one, and it's very well worth the while. So with that being said, before we go into the book, I did have a story, but I feel like the time is going by. It is 9.26 almost, but you want to share about the concept of vulnerability? Yeah, so 
But it ties into what you were going to say with the seven. The, oh. To the seven. Well, the introduction to the next chapter? Yeah. Okay, so uh, let me set that up, and we'll set it up. So chapter two, which is what we'll start after Elisa speaks, is discusses the seven qualities. And by the way, if you don't have a book, you can grab a book. If you want a book, you can keep the book. Uh, you can send a $20 donation or your suggested donation of your desire to Chabad of Parkland at your convenience. But what we'll talk about in chapter two is he's going to list seven qualities of what you would need to find in a person in order to place trust, true trust in that person. And he, he's going to outline all of these seven qualities and, and, and we'll learn together that as soon as you find somebody who has these seven qualities, not only are you going to put your trust, you should put your trust because that's like, that's it. You've, you've hit the jackpot and in reality there is no person that has it. But the closest thing that I think we get to that in a healthy relationship is more than likely a spouse or a significant other. And I think that's what you were referring to, correct? No, so, yes. So what I was going to say was that the, I was going to add to your, to the family part of, of Shara Bittachon is that when you read the seven qualities of the, the prototype of who we can trust in, so there's two, there's two sides of the coin. On the one hand, you read it and you realize there is no person in this world that can meet all those standards. But also, it relinquishes a certain control inside somebody who thinks they have to meet those standards for, some, for the other person, which then really brings down the walls that Getsy was talking about with vulnerability, because when you realize that you're not God, which a lot of us have God complexes, I don't know if anybody here, maybe present, present company excluded, but there's two sides. Some people err on the side of trusting too much in other people, and some people err on the side of deliver, over-delivering to a point of really, really on the inside, dying and slowly dying inside and putting up a front of having it totally together. So when you learn these seven qualities, there's a certain like surrender of like, I don't have this control, you don't have this control, we're just two human hearts that are you know, struggling, trying to make this work, whatever it is, whatever facet of life we're facing. There's finances, there's home, the, the home front, there's, there's um, whatever personal baggage we all bring into the marriage in different ways. Those, <laughs> those, um, those, oh, I lost my train of thought, it's your fault. Um, those, bring um, the, the different baggage. So these, when we read these concepts and like really internalize that there is no man in this world that, care, that, that holds this weight authentically, even if they try to, there's, a, there's just the surrender. That's what creates the vulnerability because you were describing that, there, that having bitachon is an outlet to vulnerability, but it's, I'm giving the like, why? Why, do, why, does, why does it create vulnerability? Because two people can suddenly learn that either I'm over-trusting in you and your capabilities, or I'm over-delivering in myself. 
whichever side of the coin you fall on in your marriage or in your relationships, this is the place where you just suddenly relinquish that, that fantasy of self or other. So that was my first point. But you want to read the seventh one? Are you suggesting that, you know, obviously in chapter two, the idea is that since no one has these seven qualities, only Hashem has these qualities, yes. right? Is there a suggestion that Bitochen is practically also trusting other people? No. No. It's completely not trusting another people. And you, you recognize like, that you can't trust in another person. You recognize that, and it's literally, it's freedom. Because when you realize that in yourself and in others, you don't have that ability, you, you, you slowly take down these walls of like this, these imaginary fantasies that we have about things and people that, that don't exist. They're not real. You could, tr- well, you could trust in anybody you want, but to, to get tranquility from the trust you're placing, you, it, you can't find it in a person. You will be let down because no one fits those qualities. Because no exactly. one fits, because the only place to get a level of trust where you can literally lay down at night with zero concern, there's only one address, and he'll go through how that how you come to that just realization on your own. And the other the other point I wanted to bring out is, I I heard I've been like, what is trust like? What is it in <coughs> practical? Form. And I heard something today from Rev. Dov Berpinson, that's my cousin, that the ultimate gu'ula is taking our fantasy and our imagination and turning it around. So when we imagine things, that is the place of manifestation. That's the place where everything takes place. It's almost like you're almost, you can manifest your fears, you can manifest things that happen around us are are mirrors of what's happening in our subconscious what's happening inside of us and what is trust it's it's taking moments to sit down and fantasize what it is you want to not not and i want to take a step back we have to like we're talking about not from our not from our um from our nefeshelic from our godly souls you know like to take a moment and imagine not just like, oh, I really hope that happens, but to sit down and build the castle of what happens from beginning to end. I'm gonna go to that doctor's office, and when I walk in, she's gonna walk in and she's gonna tell me, it's fine, you're good. And then it's literally using our imaginations. This is what we have. We have an imagination. All of us have imaginations. We've either squashed it, we've, whatever, wherever we're holding, the place that trust actually takes place in the doing is first of all in our physical experiences. It's to, to learn our sensations and to feel it, to actually get in touch with our sensations and to feel, to feel those experiences of trust, but also to, to visualize it in our mind's eye. And if we're not in touch with our mind's eye, get in touch with our mind's eye. We all have that. And I, I heard this and it touched me so deeply because I, I know that, that like closing my eyes and like imagining something and then getting this like resistance and this, this like, no, no, no. And it's just protecting me from my ultimate, it's protecting me because I've been disappointed. We've all dis- been disappointed, I'm sure. I mean, maybe, no, maybe some of you haven't, but it's literally, um, and the point that he was making that really touched me was 
you need to finish it. You need to begin it and finish it. Don't just for five minutes give yourself, you know, two minutes of like imagining an outcome that's positive, but actually like bring it down to the the storyline where it's gonna be my daughter's gonna walk in this morning and she's gonna smile. <laughs> and then we're gonna have a conversation. <laughs> I mean, we're talking, what? Yes. She's gonna smile and then we're gonna have a conversation and I'm gonna offer her to go out and she's gonna say yes and then we're gonna go and we're gonna talk and, and we're not. <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm bringing it down to like just the very, like, Literally, because I'll, I'll tell you something else. Like, I remember hearing these concepts, but like, it'd be very abstract to me. Like, oh, take an energy. If you're having a conversation that's going to be difficult, take your positive energy, roll it in a ball, and throw it. And I would be like, <gasps> like, what's happening here? No, but this is like very grounded. It's like, pull it in and tell the whole story as if it happened. That is what I understand Bitochen to be. The story, tell yourself the story. And the, the part of me that is able to say this comfortably is that we all have a chilek alikami ma'amamish. We all have a piece of God within us. Underneath all the static, all the crap, all the projections, all the stories we tell ourselves, we are literally a part of God, which means we have the ability to create our own realities, which means that that where was I going with this? Sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how do I give myself the permission to say this? Is to learn who is God? Who, who is God? Who is this who lives inside of me? Not inside of anybody else. We can't project that onto you, onto you. I can't project that. But he lives inside me. We can all say that to ourselves. He lives inside of me. And especially in a time like where we are today, to, to, to block out whatever Hamas is trying to tell us about ourselves or whatever any Colombian university is trying, we all know we're good. We all know we're inherently good and we're here to bring light into this world, not to hurt anybody, we're not, we all know that. So let's get confident about that, but also bring in the piece of the power part. We have power in this world to, to whatever we touch will be good, will be, will be light, will be, you know, it's, it's, it's A plus B equals C. I don't know. That's my, Could I yeah. Just, I just want to tie this for a second together, a practical example of what um, Lisa was saying, how tell the story, it will happen, and we'll get to what you, were, what you, were, what you opened up with. So last week, um, chapter one, I was not here. I, I had just landed at five o'clock, four o'clock in the morning, in Ben Gurion Airport, and uh, along with uh, Menachem Mendy, and all I took along in my carry-on travel bag with me, uh, besides all the things we needed for the flight, was my sitter and my Sharbi Tuffin, because I knew I was gonna miss the, the class and I wanted to keep up to date. So on the plane, I had a chance to read chapter one, uh, which is really the theme of really knowing that it's going to be good. So we land at 4.30 in the morning, and we had 55 suitcases with us, and we assumed that we we're just gonna walk right out through customs like we did the week before. <laughs> Two weeks before when the war just broke out, except this time they were prepared for the Americans that have 11 suitcases they can't see their face. So as we're, uh, five of us are trying to get 55 suitcases through, the customs guy uh, looks at us and says, anything to declare. <laughs> so we said, not at all. 
So he says, is everything yours? 100%. So he says, I'm telling you, if you cross that green line in the non-declared thing, you better be telling the truth. I'm like, everything is mine, and I'm not declared. We cross the line, and he's like, you bring anything for anyone. I'm like, of course. You lied. You're in the wrong line. You have to declare that. I said, you asked me if everything is mine. Yes, and if, if it's all personal, we're giving out to other people. It's a big deal. Into the customs line. Anyway, to make a long story short, we have 55 suitcases, which they were going to confiscate every single one of them, like people that we were watching the whole time. About an hour into this process, it was a three-hour process, about an hour into the process, we, um, I was making contingency plans. Okay, we don't have the suitcase, but at least we're doing the barbecue, we're doing this, we're doing that, we don't have suitcases. And my dear friend Menachem, and he looks at me, and he says, well, you push it, don't believe? Like, understand, you, you go to this shabby talk, and I says, you know, you're right. So I maybe mean, it's about two hours into the process. I say, you know what? They're, everyone's fighting with the customs, doing letters back and forth. I'm pulling out my Shabbat talk. And I sat down at customs. True story. True story. I sat down, and I said, you guys fight with this guy that's not giving us our suitcases. I'm going to sit and learn Shabbat talk, and everything's going to be OK. That and a quick note to the oil. Okay? <laughs> sure enough, an hour later, and Mendy, meant, with his inspiration, said, let's figure out where we're giving the stuff to and what they They're not getting anything. We're walking out with 55 suitcases. So no problem, and we're strategizing and everything. Sure enough, an hour later, there's a shift change. The guy that wasn't gonna let it go through, a new guy comes in, he types all our stuff, he says, guys, get out of here quick. The assistant of the guy that didn't let us through, in the end, is helping. We said, we didn't have enough hands to push our luggage. Walked out the customs with us, helps us load the bag, and, uh, and we were learning during that time. So you, we created that story, it was going to happen, just have to have a little bit of and sure enough, the story comes into fruition. Yeah, and it's not to Real say agenda. that resistance doesn't show up. Like, I don't want to, you know, it does. But it's like, it's to just constantly be sort of like narrowing it down to this concept, to this concept. Hashem lives inside of each of us. So, sorry, thanks yeah. for sharing. Wow, <laughs> I forgot to share that with you. That's a good and you did get right? some, some protein bars. Yes, we left two suitcases of protein bars. They deserved it. <laughs> That's not a, it's not a bribe. I mean, it's just a thank you. They said we could pick it up on their way out. <laughs> Did you, uh, but you have that picture of Nachamani? Oh, oh, of the shark. He says so he has I'm, it. Sat down at custom wow. next to the guy that was telling us stories. I'm going to be learning over here. I don't, I'm not going to bother you. You don't bother That's me. That's a crazy story. <laughs> That's going to be the new, uh, the new picture oh, for the... Pro- he has it? Yes. You send him Nachamani? We've got to make a, a group. Thank you. I want to put it on oh, the. Wait, hold on. On Wednesday nights <laughs> at the. I don't know her name. You don't know her name. I forgot the name. Oh, okay. The what? No, Etty does the share, does the top of share on Wednesday nights in honor of her friend who passed away, so I want oh. to say that. So, what's her regular name? Oh, What's her name? In honor of her Neshama knows. Okay, so we, we can definitely learn in the merit of her Neshama for sure. So that, no problem. Okay, page 46, if you need a book. I really don't want to be in here. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, it gets edited out. It's not live. You guys are all good? You all have one? Okay, so page 46. Um, f- for those that don't know, um, this is a translation. It's better than my translation will be, so I just read it out of the English. You're welcome to read it out of the Hebrew yourself and while I read it out of the English. Um, there's not many notes on the bottom this time, so we'll just read it on top. You're welcome to read it along, and uh, I certainly encourage you to read it again at your own... Um, 46, chapter 2, page 46. 
So we'll start. In the first part of this chapter, the author lists seven qualities that a person who is being trusted must possess in order to fully gain other people's trust. In the second part, the author cites verses to describe that only God possesses all of these seven qualities. Therefore, it only makes sense to put our trust in God and not in anyone else. The seven qualities of trustworthiness. There are seven factors that enable it, and I totally decide what lines I'm going to read, so I'm sorry if it makes you crazy. There are seven factors that enable a trusting person to trust another creation, a friend. The first factor, a friend must possess the character traits of compassion, empathy, and love. Knowing that a friend has compassion and empathy for him, a person will place his trust in his friend and have peace of mind due to the fact that he can rely on him regarding all matters with which he troubles his friend. So I personally can't stand these little notes in between because it just repeats exactly what the paragraph just said. But what I will say about this part is if you have a spouse or you have a best friend, you know, at this point, you got this. I totally have a human being that I can trust on, right? Somebody that really loves me and has compassion and wants to see the best for me. I know a few people, you know, my wife, my, my mother, my, not so much my mother-in-law. <laughs> my mother-in-law loves me, probably, probably in front of my mother. But uh, So that's an easy one. That's step one, right? Simple. Please F- edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> Don't edit <laughs> So that's the first thing, finding someone who has <laughs> compassion and empathy for the person. Middle of page 46. So, however, compassion alone is not enough to create trust in the person he cares about. Although the friend may care a lot about his fellow, it's possible that he, uh, will, the former will not pay attention to him. Additionally, the friend may act lazily when it comes to actually helping his friend. Therefore, the person must know that in addition to his friend's love and care, he will also never ignore him or grow negligent. So the second factor, the person knows that in addition to his friend's love towards him, his friend will not ignore him, nor will he become lax in fulfilling his wishes. Rather, the latter knows that his friend has decided to fulfill his wishes and make every effort to do so. For if all of the above is not clear, he'll be unable to trust his friend completely, because he knows that his friend may ignore him and become lazy in fulfilling his wishes. Only when the friend he is trusting possesses both these qualities, A, he loves me, he's got compassion, he's got empathy, and he's... Uh, super focused, you know, attentive on all the matters, will he be able to rely on him without any doubt? So not only does this individual have to care, but he's got to be a super focused guy. You know, he can't be a guy that's out to save, you know, the entire world at the same time because as much as he loves me, you know, he's spread thin. So I got to know that, that this individual has got me on their mind. The third factor. So, so far, I mean, we know some people, hopefully, hopefully everyone here knows one or two or three people that kind of fit this bill. Third factor is the person being trusted must be so strong that he will not be won over by others who try to oppose him regarding any matter that he wishes to achieve. Nothing will stop him from fulfilling the request of the one who is trusting in him. For if he is weak, then the trust in him can't be complete. Despite his his clear compassion and attentiveness. Why? Because in many situations he'll be lacking the means with which to fulfill the wants of the person trusting in him. Only when all the above three qualities are combined and present in a friend will it be most appropriate for a person to place his trust in him. Just a reminder, this book was written a thousand years ago. Important to remember that as you're going through this. So, you know, you have a guy who, or a friend or a spouse or a love or whatever 
that, uh, yeah, has got the empathy, has the compassion, you know, really wants to get it done, but he's, you know, broke. Or he has no telephone. Or he doesn't know how to get his foot out of, you know, one foot out of, out of bed in the morning, so he's kind of, you know, busy right now. Whatever. He just doesn't have the strength to actually pull off what you're looking for. I mean, he, he'd love to. He's totally focused on your problems. He wants to take care of it for you. But the guy just does not have the ability to always pull through because he just not, not always does he have the, uh, the strength. The fourth factor, bottom of 47, is the one who's being trusted knows which things will be of true benefit to the one who's trusting in him and that which is good for the, and that which is good for the trusting one will not be hidden from him. Knowing what is for his benefit in, top of 48, concealed matters just like in revealed matters. And he knows how to create a situation that will be for his good. For if the friend does not know all of this, then the person trusting in him will lack the peace of mind to rely on him. Only when these four qualities come together in the friend who is being trusted, knowledge of what will benefit his needs, ability to help him, active attentiveness and compassion will trust in this friend be strengthened without any doubt. So the best example in my mind is thinking of a friend who is got compassion, got empathy, has the ability to focus on your problem. He happens to be super strong, super rich, super everything. You've never met a guy that's got more energy, more power, more resources in his life. And he's a doctor too, and you happen to have exactly the issue that, that, that he knows everything about. So he knows what's good for you, when, how to deal with it, what the best way to deal with it, which medicine. You don't even begin to understand what the concept is. All you know is you've got a problem in your left leg, God forbid, and this is your leg doctor, and it's your best friend and your love of your life, and, and it's got all the attention in the matter. So that would be an example of somebody who's got all of that together. But in pretty much every other example, hard to find somebody that guaranteed knows the revealed and not revealed. The fifth factor. The person being trusted and the only, is the only one who has taken care of him from the beginning of the latter's existence through his development, the nine months when he was in his mother's womb, the days of his infancy, childhood, youth, adulthood, old age, until the end of his days. When all of this is clear to the trusting person, it will surely lead him to resting his mind upon his friend and relying on him to be his support due to the good that the friend has done to him in the past. And as a result of the benefits that the person receives from his every moment, all this surely leads to a strengthened trust in his friend. So of course we all have friends that we know and love who have been with us from the very beginning of our existence until this very moment in history, um, who watched us through our uh, you know, con conception and through the nine months in our mother's stomach and then through delivery and through every single moment of our lives since then. Um, right? We all have friends like that, right? A parent. None of us have trauma from that, right? <laughs> so outside of potentially a parent, <laughs> which, which by the way, because I'm on the record, they did the best they could with the tools that they had at the time. And I have no hard feelings <laughs> at all. there over there and I'm, I'm a person and I have limitations and then 
know that God has no grandchildren. All, this child is also God's child. That, in family life, that surrender is, it's a game changer. <laughs> it's just a game changer. Like, it's a complete different, yeah. I love that line, that God has no grandchildren. Right. It's great. You heard the fork? Nope. You've never heard the fork? Nope. That's great. Yes. That's a great, great line. So, so, so potentially, it's uh, potentially it's, it's it's a mother, but in reality, the point that's being tried to be made here is that this is where we cross over to probably no human being, and now you're looking at somebody something outside of the human race, which is which is God. The sixth factor, top of page 49. The person who has trust is completely in the hands of the one who he trusts. No one else is able to harm him, help him, do good to him, protect him from harm, just like a servant who is tied up and imprisoned, who is completely under the jurisdiction of his master with no one else able to do anything to him, neither good nor bad. When the person who has this trust is completely under the jurisdiction of the one who he is trusting in the matter outlined above, it will be even more appropriate for him to place his trust in his friend. It took me like five times learning this book to, to actually understand what that meant. Because it's saying that it's like trusting if you're in prison and you're chained to a wall, trusting, like the, the concept of trusting, and I'm thinking about myself being a prisoner chained to a wall. Isn't that why religion sucks so bad? Because it's trying to just choke me all the time and I'm a prisoner to God's ridiculous ways. And then when you take a step back for a minute, it's actually brilliant. Is if you're a prisoner, you're absolutely in the hands of whoever is taking you prisoner. You can't rely on anything other than the, 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 the prison guard or the, the, the head of the, the warden. And it's such a dark place, but it's actually the most... I think the best example of what it really means to rely and trust on somebody. I mean, unfortunately, in, in the, with the times that we are in right now, we are all thinking about 200 plus prisoners, so it's like a very hard thing to think about. But if you just consider a thousand years ago when he wrote this, if the guy was in a dungeon and his hands were like this against a chain against the wall, there was nothing, there was only one source of everything, is the guy upstairs who, was, who put him there, that he was going to feed him or not feed him. Let him live or not let him live. And it's so simplistic. It's so simplistic. It's so dark in a way, but it's also so powerful. So he's saying here the sixth factor is if whoever you trust in is the only one that can help you or do anything the opposite, which obviously doesn't exist other than, than God. God is the only thing that's, that's absolutely infinite in a finite world. So there's nobody that can do anything other than Hashem to help or harm. Correct, but he, I know. So, which is why I had personally, why it took me five times at least to, to understand this, because it was such a negative example of trusting God. And but I'm a prisoner, like, but it really. And, and again, it's in the context of a thousand years ago, so it, it's a pretty brilliant example of what else like would you say that you're totally surrendered to a situation totally surrendered 
You know, even if like back then, so you don't have a house, you lived in the far, like this was just a thousand years ago. <laughs> they had other ways of dealing with stuff. Not everybody had a job. You know, not everybody had, and, and that's why the example is so great because it, it literally lasts time, it lasts history. It's, you know, seventh fact, sorry? Can I you absolutely can. Saying, why did I take it as something dark? I don't know. It's my own. I don't know. This was my experience. I, I personally was like bothered by it for a long time. I don't know. Probably from dark. I don't know. That was always. It triggered something. I don't know. Yeah, my parents may have locked me up when I was a child. And they, they got me. They didn't. Not on, not on purpose. Zevi Kugel's going to be very busy tonight. <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> But I, I don't know, that was purely my own... What I'm saying is, like, like, for you, you took it as like a very dark thing, but it came after... After so much love of, of yeah. love. Yeah, you're right. I don't know. I, it, there is no bad. It's no bad, but on our eyes, yeah. this is not really bad. You think it's bad. Yeah, I'm saying it's my own experience at the, at the time. I don't, I don't know why. It's a good question. It was, it, obviously because of something that triggered inside of me with it. I, I don't know. Maybe I, I, I wanted, as I was learning this book, to only see the soft, yummy, bubbly you know, teddy bear examples. I didn't want to see prison examples. I, I don't know. Um, the seventh factor, bottom, uh, middle to bottom of 49. The one who is being trusted is extremely generous and kind, both towards those who are deserving of his kindness as well as to those who are not deserving. Additionally, his generosity must be constant, his kindness continuous, never-ending and uninterrupted. So, Simple. Someone who possesses all these qualities, in addition to that which we mentioned beforehand in the introduction and in chapter 1, meets all the criteria necessary to gain a person's trust. This then surely leads the person who knows this about him to trust in him and to have peace in mind as a result of his reliance on him, both when it comes to the trusting person's behavior in public and in private, in the trusting person's mind never worrying about his needs as well as with the rest of his body, in his actions, he will give himself over to the trusted person, accept all his decrees, judge him positively to all judgments and, and actions, believing that even those things that seem to be bad are actually good. So, of course, if you find a human being, which we know there is none that exists, that has all of these seven qualities, you, my, my friend, have found the golden ticket to a beautiful life. And of course, we know that the only golden ticket that exists after going through these seven levels is going to be in God. And there's a key point, point here, which he writes, which is a, a footnote on the bottom of 49, which is to those, he's kind to those that are deserving and to those that are not deserving. So the footnote says, bottom of 49, as well as to those who are not deserving, with this statement that trust will produce positive results even for the undeserving person, the author shows the distinction between faith, which is known as emuna, and trust, betachin. A man who has faith that God is in control of the world does not necessarily expect a good outcome because he's worried about his spiritual standing and doubts whether he's deserving of divine blessing. The man of trust, however, has no such doubts. He has simple unadulterated trust that his requests will be fulfilled. In the words of Rabbeinu Bechaya, 
the believer possibly has no trust because he may fear that his sins will cause him to suffer or that he already received reward for his good deeds. Bottom line, you do not, need, you do not have to be deserving. All you need is simple, unadulterated trust. And we'll stop there. And this is a fundamental ping pong that's going to happen in your brain as you're continuously working on this concept is that what do you mean if I have trust, it's all going to work out? I mean, what if I don't deserve it? What if it shouldn't be? And this is going to be constantly repeated and repeated and repeated that no, bitachin is above it all. And it's a way of life that's above it all. And how do you get there? You come back next week where you listen to the class on Spotify and you read this book about another 300 times and you spend every living moment working on it to, you know, it's the small victories at first, but uh, with the time you'll get there. I think the last, the last words, though, that we read are also part of that ping pong, that believing that even those things that seem to be bad are actually good, because a lot of the questions that go back in our minds, like, one second, that could trust and trust, but it seems to me that that's not good, the outcome, so did I not trust enough? It really is good, you just don't see it. See it. Yeah. And also to search for that, but like, you know, there's there's inherent good in everything if we search long enough. Like, like there's the ability, meaning there's a perspective. Everything is about. There's a way to process whatever happens in our life that's seemingly bad and find the kernel of good, like and be on the search for it. With the with the concept of becoming in mind to and it's not minimizing I'm not trying to minimize pain or override the human experience at all. But there is there's like these within everything. There I'm sure everybody can think of examples of things that were bad and then on the other side of it when there's laughter about it you look back and it's like oh my god that brought me to I always say where are we leveling up now how are we leveling up when things look like scary or whatever I'm like okay we're leveling up let's figure this out like how it's whatever it is and whatever frontier we're on does that do you know what I'm talking about? There is the good you have to uncover it. Yeah. So I believe that Hashem gives us pain and suffering and that's really in but us, how we see it. Is it, it suffering or is it?
anything we suffer through, but without internalizing the pain, really thinking about it, really working on it, how do I make this better? How do I elevate this? There has to be that thought process. It's, it has to be deep. It's hand it to hand. It's feeling it and then thinking, right, it's feeling it. And you do have to be vulnerable to feel. In order to feel pain, we live in a world where, hey, I don't have to feel any pain. Right. I can do this all day and anesthetize. I just learned this word from my father. Anesthetize. It's like numbing, numbing. So we have so much access and actually like we have, yes, we have an incredible access to numbing. I, I think we're gonna close out, right? Because it's already yeah. 10 o'clock. But I wanna, it is my birthday, so the power that's vested in me on this day, I wanna wish us all, personally and collectively, for our own geula, personally, like our redemption internally, whatever frontier each of us are facing in our personal lives, everybody's facing something, should be redeemed, should be, should have the clarity, and I said to Getsy the other day, we were talking about it, like, it's when there's clarity, that's the redemption. When it's like the, the story becomes clear and you know the direction you have to go with whatever challenges we're facing, that's the, rede- that's the redemptive moment. It's like, oh, I get it now, it's clear. This is the path I need to take for X, for, you know? That's, on that frontier, I wish that all personally, personally for each of us. And also, collectively, as the Jewish people, that we should have the, our collective gula. I, I, in the words of the of the visualizations that I was saying, so I, we were sitting at the Shabbos table, I think, right, where I said that I lately I've been like really thinking to myself, like, what do I want to see in this world? I just want to see the luchais. Like, I want to see them. They're here. Like, I so I keep on imagining like standing there and watching this crane like crank out the luchais from wherever they are. Like, I just I'm like. That's what I want to see. I think that's like what we're all, you know, yearning for. Or whatever is this the end to to the story that is traumatic and victimized and whatever it is. So I wish that for all of you, for all of us, um, for everybody in our, for the whole world, the whole world, mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. person, like the whole ripple effect. That's number two. What? That was number two. That was number two. There was something else. Yeah, but there was something else I wanted to say, and now it's escaping me. But um, yeah, it's been quite a quite a few months. Oh, what has what's it been a month? Yeah, thirty-one days. Thirty-one days, whatever it feels like. A long time. Yeah. But yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Totally turning on Isha Rima.